Welcome to the Old Dog New Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff West, and I'm going to spend some time talking about tech and looking at how the old dog ways really are all that old. I'm going to look at some integration ideas, discuss some successes and failures, and show you that it's really not about being perfect, but it's about being patient when it comes to integrating technology. I'm a high school educator, been teaching music band for most of my career, but I am a a big tech enthusiast, and I really enjoy uh, researching and finding answers and ways to integrate tech that don't take up so much time. Let's get going. Welcome to episode 21, the unscripted Old Dog New Tech podcast. This this episode, I'm going to see how this goes. I've been reading up on some, uh, uh, rereading some research, reading up on some research and further researching it and noticing maybe a few holes that I'd left in some podcasts before, trying to keep time under control and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm noticing, hey, I really want to mention a few things. So this is kind of a potpourri unscripted. I have some some posts, some things that I'm going to uh, put in the show notes and things that you can check out once uh, you get done listening to me yammer on about them. That's what my grandma used to say. What are you yammering about? Yammer. It's a great word. Potpourri. Different subjects of tech integration. Maybe a couple of tools here or there, but um, the integration approach and some research that I think is pretty eye-opening if you are like me, who was in the laggard or late adopter stage of tech about 10 years ago. If you're still there, hey, that's cool. That's fine. I get it. I understand it. Hard to understand how the major changes that tech is often trying to tell you you need to do. It's really not tech. It's your kids that should be telling you that. It's their needs, what you see in a classroom. But it's hard to adopt, adapt to that, adopt them when what you're doing is working and it's not using tech. So let's take a look at some different little pieces that are kind of connected, but they're not connected. In episode 21 of Old Dog New Tech, I am Jeff West. Well, in this first segment, um, I was looking over uh, when I was looking at how visuals uh, help with uh, enhance learning. And I was looking at uh, going back to some research on the communication pieces. And um, I came across some some of the articles I had used and uh, just to kind of point me in particular directions. And I realized, you know, I've been leaving out a piece in the 21st century learning that's really there, and I just never said anything. So I want to point out personalization. That's a big word right now, but but when you're using tech, you're you're able to let students, if you give them choices and autonomy in their in their learning, um, you know, you become more maybe project based. Um, not all the time, but just maybe a slight majority of the time. Um, 
a project that they do individually or maybe collaborate on or even just make it okay to talk about the answers. That social piece is that's the, that's the whole personalization. They they develop new relationships or expand and deepen other relationships. And uh, you know, sometimes you have to kind of step in and keep them on point. But that personalization piece of 21st century learning is you know, gets it to the learner-centered student-driven classrooms. We know from research that students, a student-driven classroom, rather, is more effective than a teacher-driven classroom. I think there's probably a balance. I think sometimes we hear research like that. Um, you can look it up, just... Check about check when students, you know, uh, their retention and you know how they're how they show understanding, and they reach those twenty first century skills when you kind of facilitate them by personalizing their opportunities and keeping things more learner centered than teacher centered can be limiting. Also, I think. The limitation can come in on, you know, as teachers, if you be, happen to be having one of those periods of time, not just a day, where you're very, very busy, maybe it's right around state testing time, and you're trying to get so many other things to go. And if you're trying to drive your classroom as well as do all these new responsibilities that come up at that time, that can be very overwhelming, and it can affect the level that comes out in teaching. And I know I'm not saying that that happens and I'm not, um, that it happens and that you're bad or anything like that. It, you're, we're just human. We're just human. We can do only so much effectively, but when you've got those 20 to 30 or maybe more creative minds that have energy that they've put on the side that they're using maybe for not the best purposes in the class and creating issues for you, Maybe if you open that up and facilitate that energy and say, here, here are the things I want you to do. I want you to learn. Go find out about them and put it down here in this particular digital tool and be ready to present it or create a video where you narrate or some other way that they present it. That personalization piece is huge. That's a huge piece. In music, we do this quite a bit when we let the kids play. You know, I have my kids here, you play that for me. And then they play it, and and then I encourage them with some suggestions of how to make it maybe more musical or better tone or whatever the case may be. And I think that's a big difference between the arts and core subjects core content subjects. Um, they have so many things that they have to get through, so much content. They focus on that aspect and now how does the student use that knowledge and synthesize it and evaluate it and create with it. It's difficult to get there when you have the amount of knowledge that they have to try and communicate, but you can definitely get it done with some personalization. Next, I want to make a shift sorry bad sound effect um, to 
a couple of learning models just to bring them to your attention that I have been indirectly talking about. I haven't really mentioned them by name, but I'm kind of talking about the nine levels, Ganya's nine levels of learning. Gaining attention, informing learners of the objective, stimulating recall of prior learning, presenting the stimulus, providing learning guidance. There's the facilitation piece. Eliciting performance or the response, providing feedback. Again, that personalization, so you're telling them personally. You get that when you facilitate their learning. Assessing the performance. And then the last one, enhancing retention and transfer. Enhancing retention and transfer. The generalization. Sometimes this is through the feedback piece, or sometimes this is a survey of what do you think you did well? How, what did you, what are your weaknesses? What things you know you need to work on and you are, but they're not going well. You know, something, something that kind of facilitates the thought process for them so that they're thinking through. So you get to those nine levels of learning and sometimes we, we hover around those first four. So take a look at those nine. When I've been talking about um, the use of slides or the use of Google Sites as tools or drawings for as tools for the students to create something as they um, are surveying themselves, they're self-reflecting. I did a uh, an assignment with my students a couple podcasts ago. I talked to you about using smart goals and how I use slides to kind of start getting them focused in on certain words. And then we develop smart goals and, um, you know, the piece that we're on right now that most of them are unfamiliar with is assessment. I was measuring it. How do we know that we re achieve that goal? And, you know, getting through the nine levels up to, you know, trying to get into that assessing performance and then enhancing retention. How do you, how do I know that those goals are being retained? Um, I mean, I'm, hopefully I will see them, I hear them rather in their performance, but getting them to understand, you know, I'll just do better by next week. That's not quite the goal that we're looking for. It's easy to abandon that goal. Make it detailed, specific. I'm sure I'm telling you something you already know. I'm just saying my students need to know that. Students need to have some way to set a goal and understand what they're doing. We talk to them and got to have goals. What are you going to do with your life? And then that's all we say. Good luck. That's all they said to me. I didn't really learn about setting goals until college, I think. I, yeah, I think that was about it. Maybe in high school. There were a few teachers that were specific and gave me steps about how to create goals and make them meaningful. But at college, you definitely, you know, you get into it and there you're spending thousands of dollars. And if you don't pass your class, you're going to spend some more money, spend some more time. So that's kind of the driving factor. So in this case, I'm trying to give my high school students a way to get there. And I'm not just talking about college for them. I'm talking just about what are they going to do? You know, musically is what we're dealing with right now. But, I'm making the connection to real life, quote unquote, whatever that might be. I think music has so many real life connections. 
I think it's very important. So that's why I spend time on that. I see it as a need for my students because we're always looking at goals and achieving something. And pick something else then if smart goals wouldn't work for you. Maybe your kids don't need that. What do they need though? Where are you at in that nine levels, nine different uh, in the learning model of Ganya? And maybe you use gardeners, multiple intelligences. Are you meeting those? Maybe you're on Bloom. Maybe you're a constructivist. Throwing some words out there. Maybe you want to check into those and see where you're at. Because sometimes as a teacher, when you're coming, when the day's over and you're walking out and you're going, there's a part of me that's not sure what we just did. I mean, I know I taught them things. But I'll be honest with you, I can only remember partially what I taught. I could look at my lesson plan, I suppose, and get the rest of it. I bet your students might feel that way as well. I know mine did, because I asked them. Don't be afraid to do that. That helps getting through these levels and choosing one or two things that you might be familiar with in the learning models. Something else I came across as I was um, preparing for the uh, last podcast, and I think one before that, um, when I was talking about images and the, the use of images and how to use slides and, and so forth, um, was on the visual literacy dot, I think it's org. And yes, dot org. They had a periodic table of the different visuals, different charts. And I had no idea how many different ones are data visualization, information visualization, concept visualization, strategy, metaphor visualization, compound visual visualization. And it's an interactive uh, chart. So I'll put a link to that in the um, uh, show notes. When you hover above the uh, square in the uh, periodic table, it shows you what it is and I'll tell you what, there's all kinds of charts. And I know that's a big deal in state uh, um, standardized tests. You know, they're they're testing, you know, reading and, and uh, getting information from a, a chart. And I came across it in my master's when I was looking at, you know, visualization. You know, how, how does it work? What charts can you use to communicate and working with data? And um, I just had no idea how many there are and how complex some of them are. Um, take a look at it. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty involved. So visualization. Um, and I also wanted to just take some more time continuing with visualization. I had referred to some statistics in some past podcasts, and I want to spend some more time on that because I, I couldn't read them all, and I'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, post online, the article. But some of these are, uh, they're just fascinating. Um, this was in marketing, and I find a parallelism between teaching and marketing. Because in a way, as teachers, we're marketing our content. Our content. Um, we're marketing it. We're making the, our students are consumers. 80% uh, of marketers 
use visual assets in their social media marketing, video 63% alone has also surpassed blogging at 60%. So just, you know, insert students and teachers and class content and so forth for marketers and consumers. When people hear information, they're likely to remember only 10% of that information three days later when they hear it. However, if a relevant image is paired with that same information, people retain 65% of the information three days later. And there are sources uh, for all of this, all these statistics. All right, next, here's some video marketing. Mobile video usage has increased by nearly 10 million daily viewers minutes in the last two years. And I'm not seeing the years there. On this article that was written in 2018. In the last two years. So I think we, we pretty much know our kids are using video pretty regularly and creating things. 70% of YouTube viewers watch videos for help with a problem they're having in their hobby, studies, or job. <laughs> 70%. I don't think our students quite do that as much, though. I find that when I have my kids ask me a question, I say, did you look it up? And they, seriously, they literally still look at me like, what do you mean look it up? Go to the library? You know, it, there's just this stoppage, this barrier in their mind. I, how could I look it up as they're holding their phone, checking Snapchat? God bless them. God bless them. Hmm. Globally, YouTube is consumers' leading source of video content at 83%. Facebook second, 67 Not saying use YouTube. I'm just saying use video. Video streaming has increased significantly in the last several years. The live streaming platform, Twitch, saw an increase of more than 13 million average daily streaming hours between 2012 and 17. And last, using the word video in an email subject line boosts open rates by 19% and click-through rates by 65%. So they're more likely to open your email, more likely to click through it. Now, here's a challenge. If you want to use video in an email, the coding that takes place there is pretty involved. And you cannot, uh, particularly with Gmail, send a video. But you can use a video in your classroom. So think of click through as the engagement piece. Think of open rate by they're going to be engaged. I think that's a piece that we're all searching for in teaching is engaging and retention. So video and images, and I think they're all there. It just takes us a while to get used to using them. I know for me, using images meant cutting out magazine pictures or maybe buying a set of posters, and you don't have to do that as much anymore. You can still do it. I've made, I've had some posters made by uh, creating them using Google Draw. Some 
phrases that I say regularly in my classroom. I created an image on Google Draw and put the text on there and find the letter P to be uh, a very common letter, a word that I use, patience, persistence, practice. What do you say a lot? Make a poster of it. Get laminated. Just an idea. It's time for your tech treat. Yum, yum, yum. Tech treat this week is a blog post, which I will put in the show notes, but I want to highlight it. I'm vamping while I find it. Here we are from Teach Thought. If you haven't uh, found this website and utilized, uh, I think they have a podcast. They have a lot of blog posts. Some really, really good things. I, Ed Utopia is good, and Teach Thought is good. But again, you know, as you read through these things, think about what your students need and so forth. It, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's going to be applicable for you. So Mike Asado, I hope I'm getting that right, wrote this post in 2016 called, drumroll, five ways to use digital images in the classroom. I know I'm on this visual image thing, but I'm, I guess I'm trying to practice what I preach. I'm being patient by just persevering and patiently presenting this, some of similar ideas over multiple episodes of my podcast. I think sometimes when we jump around a lot, it's easy to forget things. So, you know, maybe something I'm going to hit on here that will be the place for you to start. And then the other things that I've mentioned will be the things that you just start to take off with. That's what happened for me. I started using Google Drive and then I found those things called apps the Google Drive apps and the add-ons for the things. And it was like Christmas. Woo-hoo. Trying out all these new little different things. It was really cool. Some of them were very useful and others were not so much. But I was just playing around with them, just clicking. Just clicking. Five smart ways. Number one, visual biographies. Visual biographies. Slideshows being presented to the class with visuals, with pictures, and maybe just a little bit of text. Penn State did um, some uh, a study and a research, and they have a method um, that they teach their students on using um, sorry, somebody, um, 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 slideshows for presentations, realizing business majors, uh, teachers, you know, that's going to be a primary source of media use. And they came up with um, with this method that I keep referring back to about using the image or even creating the slide as you're presenting it engages your audience. And, you know, especially if you're having a discussion and putting those words in there. So more visuals, less text is the basic premise, but there's more description. So if you check into that, uh, maybe I'll do a podcast on that or do that as a tech treat sometime in the future. Another one, photo essays. Photo essays is another example of inviting students. Sorry, excuse me. To utilize their phone. Utilize their camera. 
and document a step-by-step process of a science experiment is what is a suggestion here in, in his blog post. I like all of these. Some of them don't apply, but I, for me, may not be what my kids need. Visual storytelling, photojournalism, or excuse me, photo, yes, photojournalism, and vocabulary building. I think we're finding, research is starting to find that the reading is increasing with image use. Students will retain their vocabulary, thus improving their reading, which we've known this. This is no big secret. In fact, many of you, if you're listening to teachers, you probably know this better than me because you utilize this information more than, than I do as far as reading comprehension affects everything else. Reading comprehension. And so images can help with that. But take a look at this blog post. Very cool. Very uh, most excellent blog post. Five ways. In closing, closing episode 21, I want to thank you for listening. I want to uh, hope that you'll take a minute and give me a review at the iTunes. Um, I'm getting reviews slowly but surely. Um, and I love it. Thank you so much. And I hope that this podcast is is uh, helping you to kind of find your way through some tech integration, but also meeting the needs of your students. So many things to think about. But I think the more you think about them, the more apt you are to integrate and you'll get comfortable with it. It's just like any other framework. I just think we need this consistent persistent, patient approach. Um, not just throw it at go. You know, ready, here you go. Here's a bunch of devices and a bunch of tools. Good luck. Now just pick one. Just pick one. Use it. And maybe the one's not in the classroom. Maybe it's in your office. Maybe it's at your desk. And you use it and it frees you up so that you can do other things in your classroom. Maybe you're more productive. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I kind of jumped around a little bit, and I could probably jump around a little bit more and, and put some more things in, but I'm going to stop it here. I'll do another episode like this and kind of go back over and review, self-reflect on things that maybe I left out that that are noteworthy. I just on a side note, I'm going to get a chance to present this year at the Michigan Music Conference i got a couple of uh, sessions, and one's about productivity, and one's about uh, Chrome and add-ons and extensions and so forth. And the format I'm using is uh, I'm really, really digging and trying to make sure that I'm considering andragogy and the best things for uh, those that are going to be in the seats and not necessarily a sit and get. I think that that format needs to go. We have so many tools at our uh, uh, disposal now as presenters that uh, you can facilitate sessions much more. It takes a little bit of doing. Um, you know, my approach is going to be, and maybe this will be something you can use in your classroom, you know, um, again, kind of jumping all over, but that's been this episode, a potpourri, unscripted. I don't have any words to fall back on. Um, I took a slide and made a table in the slide and 
have several different other slides that have information and short little videos based upon what's in the box. And you can click on that and then get back to the home screen. You might say uh, you could do a Jeopardy game in the same way. But um, what this is going to give me the opportunity to do, and I hope it works, and if you're going to be at the Michigan Music Conference and come to my sessions, um, I hope that this kind of heightens your interest a little bit. But I'm going to have a needs assessment. I'm going to see where my audience is at. And I know there's no way I can possibly get through all the videos. There's probably 30 different little things I have on there. I'll probably get through four or five of them. And then I like to have time for them to network and talk and, you know, get together. Because there's one thing we know about adult learners is that we're coming motivated and we're coming with something we want to do where kids are more of a blank page and they don't know yet. And uh, by the time they're seniors, I see it in seniors. They're starting to see, hey, I'm going to graduate, and there's some stuff I need to do. And uh, adult learners are the same way. So if you're coming to my session, my sessions, you know, that's going to be kind of the format. And I think it would be something that would work in the classroom um, if you're introducing a lot of content or smaller portions of content and you can jump around and you can present that to the kids and say, here you go, you know, take a look at this. Now you create something like this. Uh, maybe they don't know how to do that yet. I don't know. Just a suggestion. Um, but thanks for listening. Give me a, an iTunes review. Really appreciate the feedback I am getting. And um, I hope that tech is starting to get into your classroom more consistently, or at least at your desk. At least at your desk. Because you're going to you're gonna feel... You're going to feel the productivity increase. You're going to you're going to see how much quicker and how many other things you can do once you just start that consistent, persistent use of just one tool, just one. Have a good week. This has been the Old Dog New Tech Podcast with your host Jeff West. I hope you enjoyed your time, and remember, with EdTech integration, it's about being patient and not perfect. <laughs>